0: Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk.
1: Money Talk!
0: Good morning, this is Peter Lewis welcoming you to my podcast Money Talk for Tuesday the 9th of May. And as well as finding us on Substack, you can also listen to us on iTunes, Spotify and Google Podcasts. And you can find out the details of how to find the show on your favourite smartphone app by going to my Facebook page, Peter Lewis Money Talk. Or you can also take a look at my website, peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. And there you'll also find a lot of information on today's business and finance stories in my daily newsletter. This podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. In today's business and finance headlines, the Fed's quarterly survey of senior loan officers showed U.S. banks plan to raise their lending standards, adding to fears about a looming credit crunch for the U.S. economy. For loans to businesses, survey respondents reported tighter standards and weaker demand for all loan types. And in its semi-annual financial stability report on Monday, the Fed warned that the recent banking turmoil could stoke a broad credit crunch and slow the U.S. economy. Taiwanese exports fell for the eighth straight month due to weak global demand. Exports from Taiwan dropped 13.3% year on year, but moderated from a 19.1% plunge in the previous month. Taiwan's economy is trade-orientated and exports account for about 70% of Taiwan's 800 billion U.S. dollar economy. Shipments of electronics make up about a third of the total, and in April exports of electronic products fell 8.6%. Exports decreased the most to China and Hong Kong, which is Taiwan's largest market, dropping 22%, and exports to the USA fell 10.3%. Japan's service sector expanded at a record pace in April. The Ojiban Bank Japan Services PMI was revised upwards to a record high of 55.4 last month, above March's figure of 54.9. The latest reading marked the eighth straight month of expansion in the service sector, with new orders growing the most in over 15 years, amid greater spending on travel, leisure and tourism. And China on Monday said state security services had raided multiple offices of international consultancy firm CapVision, accusing it of ignoring national security risks and passing on sensitive information abroad. State media said authorities questioned employees and inspected CapVision's offices in Shanghai, Beijing, Shuzhou and Shenzhen as part of a nationally coordinated campaign to clean up the consultancy industry is the latest in a series of clampdowns against consultancy groups in China. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Asian fund management industry consultant Stuart Allcroft and our U.S. economics correspondent, writer and broadcaster Barry Wood. And if you want to get in touch, please go to my website, peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. On Wall Street Monday, US stocks faltered as an early rally in regional banking shares ran out of steam. Shares for Los Angeles-based PacWest, which surged almost 82% on Friday, added another 30% on Monday morning after it said it will cut its quarterly dividend to just 1 cent per share from 25 cents per share in the prior quarter to preserve capital. However, it gave up much of the day's uh, day's gains to close 3.6% higher. And since the start of the year, PacWest shares are down 74%. The KBW Regional Banking Index gave up an advance of 1.1% to end the day 2.8% weaker at its lowest level since November 2020. In the broader market... Ahead of consumer price inflation data tomorrow, the S&P 500 was little changed, with a small gain of under 0.1%, ending the session at 4,138. The Dow slipped 56 points or 0.2% to end at 33,619. The Nasdaq Composite added 0.2%, closing at 12,257. Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index climbed 248 points, or 1.2% to 20,297. The tech index rose half a percent. Mainland funds bought $1.6 billion worth of Hong Kong listed stocks through the Stock Connect scheme last week, and they bought another $1.8 billion on Monday. But the Hang Seng is down more than 10% since hitting a 2023 high on January the 27th. Today's futures markets are pointing to a decline for the Hang Seng of 80 points in the open, that's about 0.4%. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite added 1.8% to 3,395, ahead of trade and inflation data this week. Shares of Chinese banks rallied after at least three mid-sized nationwide lenders lowered deposit rates. China's Zhejiang Bank jumped over 6% in Hong Kong, and Bohai Bank rallied 3% after they cut interest rates on deposits by as much as 30 basis points. And shares of large state-owned lenders also soared. Bank of China surged by the 10% daily limit in Shanghai for the first time in almost eight years, and CITIC Bank also rose 10%. The CSI 300 Financials Index added $166 billion in market value yesterday and reached the highest level since April 2022. And you can get more details on the latest market movements in my daily newsletter at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Let's welcome our guests. We have with us this morning, as we do every Tuesday morning, Asian Fund Management Industry Consultant, Stuart Allcroft. Morning, Stuart.
2: Good morning, Peter.
0: And also with us is our US economics correspondent and writer and broadcaster, Barry Wood, who's over in Washington, D.C. Morning, Barry.
1: Good
0: morning, Peter. Um, Barry, let me start with you, because this is um, going to be an important day, isn't it, for one of the two crises that are going on in the U.S. at the moment, the debt ceiling um, issue. President Biden's going to meet with the big four congressional leaders um, today. Janet Yellen has warned of an econ- of an of economic chaos if Congress doesn't uh, raise the debt ceiling. What are the chances of something being thrashed out today, Barry, do you think?
1: Well, it won't happen today. I'm pretty sure of that but the meeting itself is important and that sets the stage for further meetings. Nobody wants a a problem or a default and in fact I think it's really in a sense irresponsible to speak of a default. It's just not going to happen but you've got the political divide with the Republicans saying you've got to cut some spending and the Democrats saying Oh, no, we don't. We just want to have a deal. So <laughs> this is, this is, in one sense, Peter, the beginning. So that's, that's that. I think that um, we'll get through this. Let's not forget that the June 1st deadline mentioned by Treasury Secretary Yellen is a movable feast. Mm-hmm. That can change. Mm-hmm. That can slide to July 1. But at some point during the summer months here in North America there's a crunch.
0: Mm. So
1: it's good that they're moving now.
0: Stuart, Stuart? It's an
2: interesting situation, isn't it, though, because this seems to now become a, uh, becoming uh, an annual event. Um, it's happened under, uh, I think, two or three presidencies. So it's not as if it's just um, a Biden issue. It's, it's something that is just when, when the houses uh, or the houses in, in the U.S. are split as they are, Um, And Democrats uh, have the presidency, the Republicans have the the Senate. They may sort of um, uh, restrict the spending, or it's their attempt to restrict spending and and an attempt to, in fact, force policy, which um, the president will undoubtedly um, resist. And so it's, it's been an ongoing situation for many years. Um, I, it just surprises me that the, the U.S. government still hasn't managed to sort out a better way of dealing with it. Is, is it? I agree.
1: Look, uh, listen, you've got a team of civil servants just below the ministerial level. We don't really have that here, because the deputies are all likewise political appointees. So you don't get this cooperation in the same way you would in Britain or in continental Europe. Mm. And I think that uh, it's in many ways an embarrassment that this is the way we do business. I don't think Stewart is going to change.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> is it fair to say, although the Republicans are linking this to budget cuts, the debt ceiling? isn't about future spending. It's about paying for money that has already been spent, has already been borrowed. A, a large portion of that, a large chunk of that, was done under the Trump um, sort of presidency. So they sort of, aren't they linking together two issues that aren't really um, sort of linked?
1: Yes, that's true. Certainly both parties are to blame for this problem. and the, And of course, the underlying reality, the giant is that we have chronic fiscal deficits. Mm-hmm. If we didn't have fiscal deficits, we wouldn't have this problem. But the United States goes from 5 to 10% of GDP as a deficit. trillion dollars, more than a trillion dollars in deficit. So that's the problem. Yes, some of it was allocated or at least uh, authorized several years back. You know, as they like to say, Peter, something like 70% of the United States budget is in fact entitlements that can't be changed without congressional action. Mm-hmm. So this this leaves very little for the Congress to do without
2: getting into a huge fight about fundamental promises to the public. And, um, but it, I think from a from an overseas perspective, looking at it as we do, um, it, it just seemed to me another way in which uh, Republicans might uh, snipe back at uh, at the president. Um, because they don't like his policies, they think they want They think there's a way in which they can restrict it, or slow it down, or, or or do that sort of stuff. So, so I think that from from a from an international perspective, yes, it doesn't look very good. It may be embarrassing for you being an American, but at the same time, it's it's politicking and and it's politicking at its extreme.
0: Is Janet Yellen right when she says if if the unthinkable happens and the debt ceiling isn't raised, um, there's going to be economic chaos, financial chaos, a constitutional crisis, or is she overplaying it? She's it overplaying probably? it.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, my, my friend Owen Ullman, who wrote a biography of, of, of Janet Yellen, had lunch with her two weeks ago, and uh, she said that she'd be issuing such a statement which was probably handed to her by people at the White House. Uh, <laughs> look, this is uh, this is a political battle, as both of you have said, and this is uh, this is the way it's played. Yes, there would be a real problem if it
2: actually occurred, but we're a long way from having that happen. Wasn't she just digging out words from a previous speech that she might have made? <laughs> yes, probably. <laughs> probably.
0: <laughs> They're all reusable, uh, aren't they? Those, those speeches. Yes, <laughs>
2: It's
0: upcycling. OK, well, let me ask you both about another uh, potential problem in the U.S. economy. The Qu- Fed's quarterly survey of senior loan officers it showed U.S. banks' plan to raise their lending standards, which is adding to fears about a looming credit crunch. For loans to businesses, survey respondents reported tighter standards and weaker demand for all loan types. For loans to households, banks reported that lending standards tightened across all categories of residential real estate loans and weaker demand for home equity loans. Lines of credit and standards tightened for all consumer loan categories, and demand weakened for auto and other consumer loans, while it remained basically unchanged for credit cards. And yesterday, Chicago Fed President Ostan Goolsbee said, I'm certainly getting vibes as you are in the market and in the business contacts that the credit crunch or at least a credit squeeze is beginning. Now, Barry, this has been the fear, hasn't it, of the the potential fallout um, from the banking crisis, that it's going to start filtering through to the real economy in the form of tighter lending standards, less credit. Are you also seeing signs that this is happening?
1: I'm not seeing signs here in Washington, uh, but I haven't been looking for a mortgage. I know mortgage rates have gone up from 4% to about 7%, and they'll go higher still. Uh, This word credit squeeze is interesting. I think that we are seeing a credit squeeze, and this probably has to do with that notion of the lag time between an interest rate rise and when it takes effect. So we're going to see the effects of these higher interest rates. But I want to just mention, the first time I heard the word credit squeeze, I was 19 years old, and it was in Brisbane, Australia, on a Swedish ship. And this uh, longshoreman, a wharfie they were called, came on board carrying his billy can. I said, how are things? He said, we're having a credit squeeze. (laughs) I had no idea what he meant. And I was shocked that he was speaking to me in these terms. But maybe that had some of the potential that led me into studying economics. But, yeah, this is, this is a credit squeeze in the making, and we're just beginning it.
2: Um, one of the interesting things, uh, I think, from this perspective is that um, the freedom to lend money and almost give it away by the U.S., has definitely fueled the economy for the last five or so years it's boosted the economy it's uh, it's allowed businesses to develop it's allowed a lot of businesses to to raise money on the stock exchanges and and uh, particularly in the technology area where, where businesses quite obviously um, had relied on svp and 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 others to to get money if this is all being cut back it inevitably is going to feed through to a reduction in the economy of the United States and um, uh, quite possibly um, an additional period of potential uh, recession, although that's a word that uh, the U.S. government seems to not want to use in respect of any aspect of its economy. Um, I think you're spot
1: on, Stuart. That's exactly right. And it's going to slow the economy. It's I think the question is, does it slow the economy here in the second quarter, or do we have to wait for the third quarter? But we know this is
2: happening. Yeah, so it is something for us all to be a bit concerned about. And um, uh, uh, as I said before, um, when we've had this sort of discussion, I'm not convinced that interest rates have um, peaked yet in the U.S. I think there's possibly another... Couple of rate rises potentially before the end of this year, but it seems very unlikely without a, a sort of panic measure occurring. Where interest rate decreases anytime soon. You're right.
0: If the economy is slowing and um, businesses are, are finding it harder. Uh, to to raise money, that should also start filtering through to employment, shouldn't it? They should be cutting back on hiring. But that didn't really show up in the jobs report, because we had a pretty stellar um, jobs report last week.
1: not just pretty stellar, Peter, it was phenomenal. Mm. I mean, think of it. This is why we are in such a curious economy at the moment. How can you have a jobless rate of, what, 3.4%, the lowest since 1969, And you have jobs being created, what, 350,000 in the previous month? Mm -hmm. And yet we're talking recession.
0: doesn't go together, does it?
1: It doesn't Mm -hmm. go together. And here we are in early May. The economy is still strong. Now it's distorted because of work from home and the factors that uh, prevent some people from taking lower end jobs that are going begging. There's signs help wanted everywhere. So it's a curious phenomenon. I think it It also amplifies Stewart's point that the Federal Reserve certainly is not
2: going to cut rates soon, and they might raise one more time. Yeah. Um, One one other aspect I suppose we should also remember, and this is when we go back to this discussion about the banks and and the fact that they've got to cut back, the reports now, I, I think last week it was 3,000. This week I've read it's now 5,000 different banks around the U.S., whether it be a one-branch bank to to the J.P. Morgans and cities of this world. Um, but that's an awful lot of banks out there, and it it, 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 it seems to me that, that that's a, a business model that can't be sustained mm. for too much longer. Um, but the question is really more about Do we think there will be another bank that is coming up to be likely to go bankrupt or likely to need to be supported or taken over? Will we know until it actually happens? Because they've they've been pretty good at uh, burying that sort of news until the last minute.
0: The, the markets Quite seem right. to think that it's not over, don't they? Although we had that rally on Friday in, in regional banks, it seems to have run out of steam um, pretty quickly. And the KBW regional banking index is at its lowest level now since 2020. Also, the S&P 500 financials, it's on the verge of falling back below its 2007 peak, which um, investors sort of regard as being a key um, sort of level. Um, this, this weakness um, in, <clears throat> excuse me, in regional banks, it, it really, Barry, doesn't seem to be abating, does it? We, we get maybe one day where things calm down a bit and then traders find another bank to go after.
1: Right. And as uh, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger pointed out over the weekend, uh, they think that um, the regional banks will be hit by the commercial property prop- problem, which is getting worse and hasn't really been reflected in any of the data yet. There's large vacancy rates in major cities, largely from the work from home, the aftermath of COVID, etc. And these um, loans, Stuart is right, there were all kinds of loans made at very low interest rates. Stuart, I would add just one word of um, amendment to what you're saying about those several hundred U.S. regional banks. The ones we're really worried about are probably the last, the first 20 or 30 they're the really big ones that have, say, multiple states. Their assets are very large. They're, they're in fact, very big banks. You take, for example, uh, PNC Bank in Pittsburgh, which brought up several banks here on the East Coast. Uh, they don't want to be called a regional bank because they're, they, they say they're bigger than that. But they have mm. lots of commercial real estate loans.
2: I think that the problem is not over. Mm. Mm. There's a very useful table if, if you're interested, if if um, listeners are interested in the Financial Times today, which covers, uh, I think about 50, 50 of those banks that you're talking about, Barry, and talks about you know what their situation is, uninsured deposits, total deposits, that sort of thing. Um, it, it, it's a it's a hit list, probably. Yeah, you're right.
0: Now, Stuart, here's something unusual occurring out here. I wouldn't have had on my Chinese equity market bingo card of, of sectors that people would suddenly pour into Chinese banks. I mean, there was a rush into Chinese banks <laughs> yesterday because some of these smaller ones cut their deposit rates, which is hardly good for their, de- um, uh, you know, when, when you're at the top of the interest rate cycle, it's not really a big good time to be buying banks anyway. But what's going on there? This is very unusual, isn't it? Very odd.
2: Yeah, I, it, and don't ask me to try and explain it, Peter, I, I can't. <laughs> it's, um, it, you know, the, the way in which markets move in China um, has become a little bit like the, the Japan of 30 or 40 years ago, where it was very rotational um, and markets would move in accordance with the sort of um, themes of different fund managers um, and you'd have one one sector move, then another sector move, then another sector move, as each um, sort of group of fund managers all, dis- all all made a decision that they wanted to be in that sector. And they kept chasing each other. And I suspect that that's probably what's going on at the moment with Chinese banks, because, mm. um, as we know, Chinese banks have got as, probably as big a problem as many of the U.S. banks in Insofar as they've been lending very heavily to property, and property is not a good place to be lending money in, the, in China as it is in in, in the US, and so, or, or or I should say, as it isn't as well in the US. Uh, so, uh, but what we do know is that um, there is a lot of money and support within the Chinese. Um, financial industry, um, and as it is more or less ninety nine percent, ninety nine point five percent 99%, invested into uh, mainland Chinese stocks, uh, it needs to find places and outlets within that um, sector, that, that it would, whichever sector they think is is next going to go well. I-
0: I think investors are also betting that, that Beijing is going to let state-owned firms, state-owned banks or state-owned firms have access to more capital and therefore banks are going to play a bigger role in the economy. But if I was an investor, I'd be rather worried about that, the thought of Chinese banks making even more bad loans and lending to to firms that they, they shouldn't be lending to. It's not really a, a, well, a good route for profitability, is it? No, that's
2: right. And they haven't really sorted out all their bad loan situation anyway up until now. So um it's it is more good money going after bad and well we all know what that can lead to but that doesn't lead to things in china in the same way as does in other parts of the world Mm. because the state-owned banks are so dominant and the state will support them in the end
0: Mm. but in the meantime Banks are the, the latest sector that's, uh, in, in China that investors seem to be interested in. Barry, let me ask you about Warren Buffett. You mentioned him a bit earlier. He had his um, annual shareholders meeting, which I think is a bit of a jamboree, isn't it, in, uh, in, in Omaha? It's, it's one sort of regarded as one of the, the events of the year. Um Berkshire hathaway how, how much is that a bellwether for the, the U.S. economy overall? Because it seems to have its tentacles into so many different businesses and parts of the U.S. economy. I presume that um, in some ways it, it, it's a good measure of what's going on overall in the U.S.
1: Yes. What is it? Fourth, fifth biggest United States company by market cap. Mm. And, you know, it owns the uh, Burlington Northern Santa Fe Railway. Uh, that's the number one or number two railway in the United States west of the west of Chicago. They own Dairy Queen. They own Candy Store. They own lots of things. And they're huge holders of Apple and huge holders in Coca-Cola. But Warren has stayed away from the banks. And by the way, very big in Chinese companies, not in terms of investment, but in terms of their enthusiasm. for Japanese example, companies. BYD. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, look, um, I've been either in Omaha eight times or participating a dozen times in these Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger jamborees, as you say. And I think that's a fair term. But let's not forget what I think is the most bottom line reality. These men, 92 and a half years old and 99 years old, (laughs) are mentally sharp. They take questions that they don't have a knowledge of in advance for five straight hours, one hour break for lunch. It's extraordinary. And the people who show up in Omaha, right in the middle of the United States, they've come there to learn. And they tend to be young people, many from China, who've come all the way across the Pacific now, or they're studying in the American universities. They come, farmers come, ranchers, businessmen from your big, big time they are all there to learn and so far they're learning and what does warren have warren and charlie they talk every day on the phone they have 138 billion dollars in
2: spare cash which they keep in treasury bills it's 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 an extraordinary phenomenon it's um it's it's a fascinating business really um you you've described it really very nicely Barry there um The interesting thing is, as you say, they have a they have an interest in China. They've actually last night it was announced that they'd sold down their holdings in BYD to just nine percent or nine point nine percent. So they've come back from a a higher holding. Um, They're now talking about Japan as being a place where they think they can put more money, taking it out of places like Taiwan, but. You know, they are an investor in the Asian region, probably because they can see opportunity in this region um, in a way that many other U.S. corporations just don't seem to do. And uh, that, that's, that's a message that um, people in Asia would love to see taken a little bit further, because we feel that the U.S. is currently um, ignoring much of our region for political reasons rather than for business reasons. Excellent point. And don't forget that
1: um,
2: uh, Warren was in uh, Japan just a
0: month ago. Mm. Yeah, so we should take.
2: You, know, you also make a very valid point. I mean, 92, 99, I mean, there's there's hope for us all, really, isn't <laughs> it? Yeah, <though? And, laughs> <when, laughs> that's true.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I suppose I if, even at ninety-nine years old, we we should take note then of what they say and uh, what they said on the American economy. They were yeah, they were rather gloomy, weren't they?
2: Yeah, but a lot of people are getting a bit bothered i mean I mean the reality is that they're not going to live forever and and what happens with either of these two pass on um will the business continue as it has done and and the fact is that uh, the the what appears to be the nominated successor, Greg Abel, is a very low profile person who is only just beginning to show himself above the parapet and uh, I think they need to probably put a bit more effort into that if they really think that this this is the one who will succeed, either of them.
1: Yeah, I think that's all planned and indeed Abel sat on the podium with the two senior people and so did the Indian-American Ajit who runs the insurance business. So the succession, I think, is pretty much in order, Stuart. Um, But, yeah... Gloomy about the United States, that would be a little too strong, Peter, but certainly less optimistic. Uh, They don't like the short-term policies of so many investors. Um, Charlie Munger said, too many people are money managers. We need fewer money managers. (laughs) They don't like the kind of credit that is with zero collateral offer, and that's changing. And you know Warren likes to say that you've won the the ovarian lottery if you're born in the states. He said it again, but he also said you cannot keep spending money indefinitely. And so yeah, I I take and he also said politics have become tribal in the states and that, that leads to problems. So yeah, I I agree with you Peter. I think they were they were sober. They were less optimistic about
0: the future of the U.S. Uh, He was saying the incredible period for the U.S. economy has been coming to an end, which is going to make it harder for value investors like um, themselves who buy stocks that look cheap um, compared to the intrinsic value of the businesses. Charlie Munger said, get used to making less. Yes. What do you make, um, Stuart, about uh, his preference for Japan? And in fact, um his preference for Japan over Taiwan. I mean, they were basically saying they've, they've sold out now of Taiwan, uh, Taiwan semiconductor manufacturing, which was a big holding of theirs. Not because they don't like the company or the management. They think it's a fantastic company. They just think it's in the wrong place and caught in the middle of all the geopolitical tensions. But they do seem to like Japan.
2: Well, they, they like Japan, yes, but uh, many people have liked Japan for a long time because the Japanese market <laughs> is, uh, is, is no, well, famous for not having recovered to its previous high points, and and, and are struggling. But Japan does seem to be in a better position these days than it used to be, and I think that uh, there are opportunities there as um, as uh, there their objective ultimately is to buy into companies that will increase in value and uh, that and will enhance and uh, improve the overall returns of uh, Berkshire Hathaway but when you're the size that they are you need to be buying into big companies and and Japan does have big companies whereas Taiwan has lots and lots of much smaller companies, and that's probably one of the major reasons why that they, they're pulling out. Or although SCMP um, is still a, a, a very um, oh, a t- sorry, Taiwan semiconductor manufacturing, S- uh, TSMC um, is still a major company in Taiwan and. and hmm one of their biggest, but there are lots and lots of very small companies in Taiwan which are probably beyond the ability of Bager Hathaway to be buying at this moment, uh, that would uh, certainly um, they would not be making any significant difference to the overall returns of that business.
0: Well, thank you both very much. Talked about a lot there. Look forward to doing the same thing next week. That's Stuart Allcroft, Asia Fund Management, Industry Consultant, and also Barry Wardell, US Economics Correspondent over in Washington, DC. Thank you for listening this morning. Just a reminder to take a look at the show's website, peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. There you'll find more information on today's business and finance stories in my daily newsletter, along with details of how to find the show on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And I to do it all again tomorrow when my guests will be wealth preservation specialist Enzio von Fahl and Mark Michelson, chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia. And with a view from Japan is John Byrne, vice chair of research at the Asian Development Bank Institute. See you tomorrow. Money Talk.